0: Today is Wednesday, February 28th, 2024, and this is the Weekly Refresh. Jeremiah 17:7 7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Before we make personal and practical applications of such a general statement, let's first put this verse into context so that we can genuinely understand the severity of this statement and how the surrounding texts inform us that this text is a shining light in the midst of dark prophecies. In order to historically contextualize Jeremiah 17, we must first understand the condition of the nation of Judah at the time. So here are the last five kings of Judah and their condition. Josiah, good king. He was Judah's last good king. Jehoahaz, evil. Jehoiakim, evil. Jehoiachin, evil. Zedekiah, evil. Jeremiah served Judah as a prophet for about 20 years under the reign of Josiah, Judah's last good king. After Josiah's death, all that Judah would inherit are evil kings. And it is through these last 20-some remaining years of Judah's solidarity before its fall to Babylon that Jeremiah would prophesy against the evils of God's people. Even after Jerusalem's fall to Babylon and the exile of the people of Judah, Jeremiah continued for a few more years to prophesy to the people through their suffering a suffering that they inherited for their continued evil and rejection of their God. It is during this suffering of exile that Jeremiah writes this promise of hope to Judah in Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. We often misuse this verse by taking it from its context, but we see here that even in the midst of intense suffering, Even suffering that is initiated and fulfilled by God, he always provides his people with hope, which is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. It is prior to Babylon's siege on Jerusalem that Jeremiah writes chapter 17. Judah does not yet understand the severe judgment that is coming for them due to their evil. The surrounding context reveals God's intense hatred for sin which is a truth that never changes since God never changes, as he states in Malachi 3.6, for I, the Lord, do not change. Even in our current post-ascension period, where our gospel cry is one of God's grace, he still hates our sin still loathes our evil and still detests all wrongdoing with an intense hatred so virile that our human minds could not comprehend the extreme nature of his eternal wrath against wickedness. That is the essence of the surrounding context, as God conveys his coming judgment upon Judah for their sin in Jeremiah 16. In Jeremiah 16, 18, God says, I will doubly repay their iniquity and their sin because they have polluted my land with the carcasses of their detestable idols and have filled my inheritance with their abominations. In the first few verses of Jeremiah 17, God continues his perfectly just accusation against Judah, declaring that their sin is set in stone and therefore their judgment is assured. Specifically, the judgment that they will serve Babylon for generations due to their idolatry. In Jeremiah seventeen five 5-6, the Lord says, "...cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land." The figurative imagery here clearly conveys that those who trust in man rather than God will gain nothing and have nothing and suffer greatly. Though this gives whiffs of the eternal truth for unbelievers, the Lord is specifically referring to Judeans who are worshiping man-made idols, revealing that their idols cannot and will not stand against the judgment of God. When the Lord judges his people and destroys their idols, they will see that there is only one God to worship. But that realization for Judah will first require great judgment to enlighten their eyes and ears and hearts to the greatness and holiness and love of the one true God. In the midst of all these words of judgment from the Lord, he gives this glimpse of hope and certainty of future blessing for those who are secured by him. In Jeremiah seventeen seven, he says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Notice that this is... Contrary to what the Lord said in verses 5 through 6, that the man who trusts in man will be cursed. Here, he says, the man who trusts in the Lord will be blessed. So what does it mean to trust in the Lord? Understand that Judah was surrounded by ungodly nations, and they were blending their cultures, which included marrying outsiders and foreigners, which led them, uh, led to them worshiping, the false gods of these foreign nations, generation after generation, Judah consumed the lie as a result of trusting in themselves, trusting in their foreign neighbors, and thus trusted in false gods. These false gods are not real. They are man made. That is why God says that anyone who trusts in man is cursed. The trust or to trust in man-made false gods is to trust in man. One does not trust in a different God When they trust in a false god, they are trusting in man who made up those false gods. Hence, God declares his vengeance on his people for abandoning him, the only real God. To trust in the Lord during this time of Judah's abandonment of God would have made one an outsider, similar to how our culture uh, cancels those who don't promote a woke culture and values. Yet there are far more freedoms and securities today for those who oppose wokeness than a Jew would have had faithfully worshiping God during this time of Jeremiah. Meaning, to trust in the Lord contextually would have meant to them that they did not bow down to false gods or intermarry or follow the customs of foreigners, but rather to trust the Lord during this time would have meant faithful obedience and worship to the one true God. This is why many of the prophets throughout Israel and Judah's history were so severely persecuted because they were faithful to God in the midst of a crooked and evil generation that was often led by wicked rulers. So to trust in the Lord here ultimately meant continued faithfulness to God in the midst of a surrounding culture of hatred toward God. We could provide several biblical examples of how faithful obedience to God in the Old Testament made one's life miserably difficult. Elijah stood up against the false prophets of Baal and faced the persecution of Jezebel for his trust in the Lord. You could say that Elijah didn't exactly feel like he had a blessed life as he fled to the caves to escape his pursuers and cried out to the Lord concerning his misery that was allotted him for his faithfulness. Yet our Jeremiah 17:7 7 text says, "Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord." Though God certainly blesses us in this lifetime in a variety of ways, this is not a promise for the kind of earthly blessings that health, wealth, and prosperity preachers promise. The ultimate blessing is our eternal reward, which is the satisfaction of God's infinitely glorious and eternal presence. Often, as Jeremiah experiences, the blessing for trusting in the Lord is not felt so much in this life as it is the hope of our future life. Meaning, to trust in the Lord requires faith, and faith allows us to depend on God and trust in Him despite what our surrounding culture believes, perpetuates, and pushes on us. Faith is the difference, and faith that is genuine secures our confidence and trust in God. Notice that it says, Trust twice in this verse. The first says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. The second says, whose trust is the Lord. One says, in the Lord, and the other says, is the Lord. So what's the difference between trusts in the Lord and trust is the Lord? In the phrase, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, the word trust is a verb an action in which we engage, where God is the object upon whom we cast our confidence. This reveals our human responsibility to depend on God, to actively practice our faith in him with an amount of confidence in his nature, abilities, qualities, characteristics, and promises that strengthen our resolve to face anything because of our assurance of who he is, what he says about himself, about us, and what he promises. In the phrase, whose trust is the Lord, the word trust is a noun, not a verb. Now the Lord himself becomes a trust. Rather than this being about how we actively practice our faith and confidence in him, it is a reflection of God's sovereign goodness to make himself the object upon whom our confidence is secured. Think about it like this. The Lord is our trust. This is not about us putting trust in the Lord, but about the Lord himself being something to us by definition, which is trust. Essentially, to us, the Lord equals trust. Think of trust much like a trust fund. The fund is identified as a trust, as a noun, rather than a verb. But the verb is implied by the noun meaning the fact that the trust fund exists as a noun requires that the one who depends on that fund acts in a trustworthy way, that they actively trust, that they do an action of trust, which is a verb. When that person acts in a trustworthy way, they prove that their action of trusting secures their inheritance of the noun of the trust. Similarly, God is our trust He is our promise of a future, quote-unquote, fund in which we inherit when we actively trust in him through obedience. This does not mean we earn our salvation through trust and obedience, but rather that if God is our trust, noun, then we will trust in him, verb, verifying and validating the reality that God is our trust in whom we put our trust, securing our inheritance, which is him, So what does this mean for us to trust in the Lord and to make the Lord our trust? It means two things. One, that we must recognize that God has made himself our trust. He is the one who secured our salvation. He is the one who has worked in us to make a place for his gift of faith. He is the one who has changed our will and our minds and our hearts. And two, in doing so, he has changed in our hearts that in which we trust by changing the object of our trust from man or ourselves to himself. Meaning, we trust in him because he has made himself our trust, our confidence, our assurance, our savior. When this verse says, Blessed is the man who, it seems to imply that we are to do something in order to be blessed because it is followed by the verb trust, implying we must do an action in order to be blessed. But the presence of the noun trust reveals that us being blessed is a product of the noun, God, causing our trust, verb, by making himself our trust, noun, thus securing for God his glory in being the object of our faith and the producer of our faith. So that we would be satisfied in Him alone, because no other source, particularly man, can satisfy. So, what are we to do with this truth? Trust in the Lord by recognizing that the Lord is your trust. He is your security, your assurance, and your confidence. In Christ alone can we approach God with boldness. That's Ephesians three twelve, which is an activity that is now allowed to us through his grace of making himself our object of trust. The best way you can honor how God has made himself your eternal trust is to act toward him with trust and confidence. Your act of trust reveals the glory of the object of trust. And we reveal our trust and confidence in him, by obeying his word. Regardless of what our nation, friends, or family say is culturally or socially acceptable, we do, as Peter says in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than man. That does not secure an easy life, but it does reveal eternal life.